Welcome to Season 8 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and through our partnership with Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. Their motto is simple. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week, we feature the Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for the Chicago White Sox, Brooks Boyer. You can't sit back and say, I'm going, here's my five-year plan, because baseball is not linear. You, you do not know, you know, where what your team's going to look like. You're not going to know how your team resonates with a fan base. Uh, there, there's so many unknowns uh, that, that you have to leave yourself open to, 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 to marketing um, the product that, that, that you do have. Think the job of being a sales and marketing director for a major sports franchise is an easy job? Think again, and especially in Chicago where the Crosstown Cubs already have a significant marketing tool in Wrigley Field. But Brooks Boyer, a former Notre Dame basketball captain and sales manager for the Chicago Bulls, has always had to think on his feet. Winning helps sell, but what happens when the team is losing? And just how good was Boyer at shooting hoops? So, Brooks Boyer, tell me a story I don't know. Well, I, I guess, George, I'll, I'll start with, I, I won't go to my, my playing days. I'm going to go just outside of my playing days, George. And you will remember this vividly. Michael Jordan returns to the Chicago Bulls to a lot of fanfare in, in 1995. I was scheduled to play in a, a, a championship game for the uh, Chicago Park District basketball, whatever it was, whatever league that was. And my teammates and I decided to forfeit so we could watch Jordan return to play <laughs> against the uh, against the Indiana Pacers. The last five minutes and 34 seconds since Michael Jordan made his return after that nine-minute stint in the first quarter with Michael back on the floor, Pacers with a 15-3 advantage. Jordan still looking for his first field goal. And but that's that's not the story I want to lead off with. But like I said, you'll remember this vividly. If you can take yourself back to 1996, uh, Jordan completes that mission of winning a championship after coming back from playing baseball. And Everyone remembers or everyone has at least seen the photo of Michael Jordan laying on the, the, the ground in, in, in what appears to be the training room. It actually was the training room of, of the United Center. Some people may think it was just the locker room. But after winning, Jordan comes down and, and, and into the locker room and has, you know, a, a, you know, obviously a ton of emotion coming off the loss of his father. Uh, bringing the Bulls back to 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 where everyone expected them to be, and I handed him his bottle of champagne as he walked in because I had executed the champagne deal for the Bulls if they were to win the championship of of what champagne was going to go into the locker room. So I handed it to him, 
he set it into his locker and, and proceeded to walk into the training room where he had this very emotional moment that was, was, was captured on film. Mm. Uh, I think I was one of only maybe five people that happened to be in the room uh, to, to, to see that. And, and it was uh, obviously very fortunate to work for the Chicago Bulls and win three championships um, as being part of that organization. Uh, but that's, that's clearly something I'll never forget uh, seeing the emotion of of the greatest player that's ever walked on the planet uh, in winning a winning a championship that that that's something that will always uh, stay with me. What was it like working with him, or did you ever work with him directly? Oh yeah, yeah. we we had to. Um, you know, with with my role within the within the Bulls, uh, you know, there were a number of things that we had to do. He was he was always very gracious with his with his time. Um, he was he he got pulled in so many different directions, and you know he really understood uh, the importance he had to the game and 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 respected the fans and 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 you know you see nowadays it's just a it's a different world. Uh, you know guys have load management days. Guys don't play in all the exhibition games. Michael knew when we went out on the road that people were there to see him. And, you know, he was he was obviously ultra competitive and, and, and wanted to win at everything that he could. But he never I just never saw him mail in a day, even if it was an exhibition game. Uh, he knew fans were there and the, the place was packed to, to see him. And and he just delivered day after day after day. So, you know, I, I saw him be pulled in a, in a million different directions. And, and now that I've been in the industry you know, for, for so long, uh, I, I marvel at his understanding of his place and his importance in, you know, in the NBA and in sports and in Chicago and, you know, how the guy just never mailed it in a single day and, and, and did everything uh, for, for fans, did everything for the organization and really was available whenever we needed him. And, and, and I just give him so much kudos uh, for for being that way, I was new to the industry, so I didn't know any different. Um, and now looking back, you realize how special the guy was. I mean, I would have to believe when I said, you know, it must be tough to market and sell a team that's not doing well. But when you have the Bulls and you have Jordan, I don't want to say that it's an easy job, but it doesn't hurt. Oh, it was an easy job. <laughs> I really, I mean, <laughs> I've 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 uh, now been able to 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 see it all, whether it's basketball or baseball. Because remember, you know, after after the last dance, you know, the the, the Bulls, you know, we we really struggled. You know, we, we had some some years. I think we had a, a a three year stretch where it was the worst three year stretch, you know, possibly even including expansion teams um, in the history of the league. Oh, I remember that. You mean with Tim Floyd? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was, it, it, you know, we, we were winning, you know, 13 and 15 games, 17 games in a, in a year, we'd go, we'd go months, uh, you know, sometimes without winning. And, and, and it was, it was a challenge. Um, obviously the United center was still a terrific atmosphere as it is today, you know, for, for basketball games, but basketball wasn't very good. So you know, I've 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 been fortunate to see, you know, the 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 height of heights. I mean, I, I the 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 Warriors when when they went seventy three, 
and nine, you know, was the, the, the closest as, as you've seen to, you know, what, what I've referred to, and, and, and it may not resonate with a lot of people now, but, you know, traveling with the Beatles and you know, what it must've been like. And, and, and that's what it was like with the bulls in the, in, in the nineties in the late nineties. And I'm sure the warriors felt the same uh, when, when, when they went on their big run. I want to take you back uh, some 30 plus years you're six two, which at the time, uh, when you played for the Fighting Irish, I would think would have been big enough for a guard. And you were the captain of the team. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. For a couple of years, sounds like being a leader comes naturally to you. Oh, look, I, I, I've been very fortunate. I was very fortunate to, you know, uh, grow up in a in a in a program. You know, under you know my my. Head coach was a, a guy by the name of Mike Ramker in, in Jackson, Michigan, at a high school called Lumen Christie. And, you know, I, I started playing for coach in the summers uh, when I was probably in about the sixth or seventh grade, started going to his camps in, in, in the third or fourth grade. And he was he was a terrific leader. And he was a, a, a guy who pushed me to, uh, to whether it was takeover games uh, on the floor or to to make sure that that I was doing what needed to be done to to put our team in the best position to 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 win. So I was fortunate to 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 be able to learn un, under some of the some of the best. Uh, you know, I was the youngest of uh, of five. I had you know two older brothers that played college sports. I, you know, one of my sisters was a college gymnast. So I grew up around sports and and uh, you know really liked winning and really liked competing and. Yeah, part of that is 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 you got to learn to lead and and going into Notre Dame, uh, I I was no five star recruit. I, I was, you know, a kid who could shoot it, a kid who could handle it a little bit, and a, and a kid who could could run an offense. Eight seconds. Towers got it. Brooks Boyer, Boyer to the basket. It's blocked, and Clay Smith's got it. DePaul has it and gets the timeout with 2.2 to go. Brooks Boyer swears he was fouled, and I'm not so sure he wasn't. I don't know if he's praying here or what. He, Brooks, you better go sit down because you're going to get yourself in trouble. I mean, I wasn't going to out-athlete anybody, uh, but I was hopefully going to out-think you on, on the court. And, you know, luckily the coaches saw something in me that uh, that, that allowed me to be in a leadership role in, 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 in that captain's in that, in that captain's role and, and, and try to – you know they're 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 a lot better players than 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 I was, uh, but to to try to help put something together that that could make the team a little bit better. So but, I, I've just been very lucky in that regard. So while you couldn't really parlay your career as a player, you already had an idea of what you wanted to do. You hung around the sports information department. So <laughs> what rang the bell when you decided not to go to graduate school and instead opted to be an intern for the Bulls? Yeah, no, I, I, I again lucky to have uh, guys like John Heisler, longtime Notre Dame SID and, and associate AD, uh, Mike Enright, who who was there. Uh, you know, these these were guys that traveled with us, and it, you'd be with these guys, and and you know they would talk about you know the the, the business side. They they'd manage the tickets, and and they'd do all the things that gosh we didn't want to do. The coaches didn't want to do. Uh, you know, but but they loved they loved the sport and and you know they they were engaged in in us. You know, they took time for for us. 
and you know was lucky to be able to have a number of conversations you know about the business of of college sports when I was in college and that really piqued an interest and and uh, you know I got very lucky getting into into pro sports and and uh, that may be another story that we tell but uh, it is it, it I felt very fortunate to to have people around me at Notre Dame that uh, that, that that really were you know, took an interest in in me and were willing to answer probably a lot of stupid questions. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. Duct, 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Luck is what you make it. And so when you were with the Bulls, you worked your way up. You worked your way up from intern to the sponsorship, the head of sponsorship sales. And one of the major uh, sponsors that you corralled I mean, I would have to say you're the most decorated bottle washer in the history. It was a water <laughs> company, right? It was. It was. Uh, you know, interestingly, I, I was at I was at the United Center, and I, I was I was pretty proud to see that uh, Ice Mountain was uh, still uh, the the water in the United Center, and I was the the one I I I, I cut that deal after cutting a Hinkley Springs deal uh, to, to bring, you know, the, these waters into the, the United center, but, you know, to, to, to your point, you know, working for the bulls, I worked for a guy named Steve Shanwald, who was a long time head of business operations for the, the, the bulls, uh, who, you know, was, was very good to me. I worked for a great guy and Greg Carney in the sponsorships department, uh, who, you know, I'm always appreciative to Greg because, he took the job as the VP of marketing for the Denver Broncos, which opened up his job for me, which ultimately led to me being able to go over to the White Sox. But, you know, being able to to, to learn in an environment uh, like the United Center, uh, partnering with the Blackhawks on a number of deals um, and, and, and working for a global brand like the Bulls you know, really put me in a position to be able to do what I'm doing today. Because the Bulls and Sox were run by Jerry Reinsdorf, it had to give you some great in for the job that you have now. So tell me a story I don't know, how that came about and why you wanted the job of what was the director of corporate partnerships. You know, I was the director of corporate partnerships at the at the, the Bulls. And when the job became available uh, at the at the White Sox, you know, there's there, there's a couple of people that, that thought I was crazy because you're you're going from from one team where you had 41 games. There was a clock. It was indoors, so it was temperature controlled. Into you know double the capacity, uh, <laughs> double the concern about weather. 
and uh, there's no clock uh, that is involved. Uh, why, why would someone want to give all of their summers up uh, when, when you're working for a great organization? Well, the challenge was, you know, I, I got to become the, 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 the head of revenue, the head of marketing, and you know, got to take on a number of different departments. And, and that challenge at the time, I, you know, I, I came in, if you, if you remember, George, uh, with Ozzy. You know, Ozzy, Ozzy had come in, come in and taken over and, you know, nobody, you know, they, they, they were at a, a, a very low, the White Sox were at a low point. You know, the Cubs, uh, you know, were a few outs away from a World Series back right. then. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Jerry Manuel era had ended in disappointment and uh, Ozzy was coming in and everyone thought maybe he was a little crazy and, could this work? So, for, forgive me for interrupting you. A little crazy. <laughs> there was, <laughs> you know, there, you you just didn't know. It's it's you know, it wasn't at the height of uh, of White Sox excitement. Uh, but you know what a, what a challenge, what an opportunity. You know, I get to work directly for the owner. Uh, you know who I I never worked for directly. You know for the Bulls. Uh, so it, it it was an opportunity to run a number of different departments. And and to, to to really kind of spread my my wings and you know see if I could be the you know kind of and on, on that that side you know help help really run the business and, and have the exposure and you know little did I know what I was I was getting into that you know a couple of years you know or not even you know two seasons later uh, we were going to be holding the trophy. Tying run at second, two out. Palmero over the head of Jenks. Uribe charges, throws. And the White Sox have won the World Series. So it was uh, it was very good timing on my part. And, you know, at that time I was, you know, 32 or 33. I think I was 33 and been in the, the, the industry for 10 years and, you know, had four championships between the three of the Bulls and the one with the White Sox. And, you know, here we are too many years later and haven't gotten another one. So anxious to try to try to get another one. Well, what's the first thing you did in 2004 to make your presence known and to be relative? Because it was pretty important. The first thing that we did is, you know, I I, I grew up, you know, I grew up despising the Bulls and the White Sox. I didn't like the Bulls and the White Sox. I, I was from Michigan. I was a Detroit fan. And um, you were a fan of, yes, of all the teams that fans say suck. Yeah. The Red Wings. Exactly. The, you, yeah. All of them. I mean, I was I was a bad boy, man. I was a <laughs> oh boy. You know, I I, I love those guys. I hated Jordan. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and and things changed very quickly. And you know, my ten years with the Bulls, you know, because we're a sister company with the White Sox, got to enjoy a number of White Sox games. And and you know, I, I was an American League guy, uh, so you know, I, I I lived up on the north side, so certainly went to to, to plenty of Cubs games, but. Uh, I was an American League guy, and and I liked the American League game, and and so I would I would go to a number of White Sox games, and one of the first things we did, and 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 I don't know if you remember this, George, but you know we put out uh, what we called an us versus them commercial, and it had to do it was a comparison of the the White Sox and and the Cubs, and 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 it was not just the the, the players, it was the fan bases, it was the mentality, uh, it was the culture. And it 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 kind of challenged all that, and it really resonated. Um, it was it was the first time where 
I really felt like, okay, I, I, I'm starting to, to really understand this fan base and, and how important uh, the White Sox are to, to our fan base. And, you know, that hasn't changed. That hasn't wavered. We've had good seasons. We've had bad seasons. Uh, but, but the one core fundamental is, is always in, in this role, at least is always trying to understand what the brand and, and what the White Sox mean uh, to, to, to their fans. And I, I think that first thing that we did with the us versus them really taught me a lot that uh, if you're a White Sox fan, you know, there, there, there are some White Sox, fans which is, this doesn't make any sense, but White Sox fans will be like, yeah, did, did. you know, there, there are some White Sox fans that derive more pleasure out of the Cubs losing than the White Sox winning. That I makes know. No sense. <laughs> it makes no sense, but that's, but, but that's our fan base and, 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 uh, you know, or a subset of our fan base. And, you know, White Sox fans, we pick sides. You know, you, someone says, oh, I, I, I pull for both, both sides of town. That's not, nope, you, you, you pick one. When they're playing, you pick one. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always embraced the authenticity, uh, the stereotypical kind of chip on our shoulder of being on the South side. I, I enjoyed uh, having that as part because, you know, that connects me to, to, to how I was raised. You know, I'm from a town of 1500 people and, and, and the people were genuine and you, you couldn't BS anybody in, in, in my hometown. And, you know, they, they, they appreciated people who were real and authentic and, and, and that's what we, we ultimately try to be. Now in today's day and age, there are a lot of people with, with opinions, a lot of people that that have influence over opinions and have influence over narratives that may not have all the information, and so that's that that creates a new challenge that may have been different uh, than 2004 when I when I started with the White Sox. Marketing is really promotions, but it's also about making money, and in the end, mm-hmm. some money that you can spend on promotions. So, in other words, what you can sell it likely becomes what you can spend. You just hit on it there. Our business model has been very simple for a long time. Money in, revenue in, netted of our operational expenses equals payroll. And you know that's that's always been it. Jerry Jerry has always said to me and he's been very consistent is look, I don't I don't need to make any money if if you can figure out you know how to pay for the team, you know from the revenue that we generate, not, you know, I netted of you know, being able to open the ballpark and pay our employees and uh, the the things that that we need to run our business, uh, you know, I'm happy. You know, he's he's you know since since COVID, you know, he's 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 certainly gone into in, in into his own coffers uh, because you know that that equation is is a little unbalanced right now. So you know, we're doing we always do what we can to generate the maximum amount of revenue based on uh, what you know, what, what we're given. What I love about working in sports is you never know what the, the, what the product is going to look like. If the, the, the White Sox are going to win a hundred games, they're going to win 90 games and win the division. You know, they're going to go 500 or they're going to be under 500. We don't know. Baseball is, is, you know, can, can change so quickly based on a number of factors that are out of our control. And what we talk about is maximizing the experience for our fans outside of inside those lines. We can't control what happens inside those lines, uh, but we certainly can try to maximize the experience, which ultimately 
maximizes the the, the revenue for us uh, that is netted out and, and given to our players. We were talking about Ozzy a couple of minutes ago. I was there when Ozzy uh, arrived in 1985 and became Rookie of the Year, and he was uh, – Let's let let's just say the personality was already there. I mean, he was quite something, and his kids were running around the locker room. They were rambunctious, just like Ozzy was. So now, two thousand five, and the White Sox make the World Series. But here comes something that a marketing director probably doesn't really count on, and that is a guy who eventually generates not back page news but front page news. And that's what Ozzy did with, of course, the help of a Jay Mariotti and some other things. I wonder how that affected what you were doing because suddenly Ozzy was not only the face of the franchise, but a controversial face of the franchise. Ozzy was authentic. You know, we talked about, you know, what's important to White Sox fans. He was, he was honest and, and authentic. And uh, he certainly said what he, what he felt, uh, I, I re- vividly remember sitting in a, in a meeting and Kenny Williams saying, you know, this guy can help us win a World Series and there's going to be some times that he says some things that are going to make us uncomfortable. Is I heard anybody about what I say, by the name, you know, by calling him, uh, I'll probably, yeah, but I know what talking about those people. I was talking about him strictly to him. Uh, besides that, he's not a man. He never got anything good for this city and I don't know where's my, where's my time talking about Jay. You know, Jay's a piece of shit and we want to know he should be here right now. Talk to me right now. It's almost like if 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 someone has a greatest strength, you just don't want to take it away from them. And you know, Ozzy's greatest strength was, was one of his greatest strengths was was his honesty, honesty with his players, honesty with the media, honesty with with us. And you know, sometimes that would put him in a in a, in a trick box and. Uh, you know, we'd weather it and, you know, we'd try to go out and win a baseball game the next day. Okay. So 2005, whose idea was it to bring back the theme song from 1959 when the Sox won the pennant? Because it was absolutely fabulous. Yeah. I mean, the fans loved it. Even those of us in the media loved it. White Sox, White Sox, go, go, White Sox. Jeff Chanel, who's been our longtime scoreboard operator, somehow unearthed that. And he played it one time, and we were like, what in the world is that? Where did that come from? <laughs> and it was it, it was catchy. I mean, you know, White Sox, White Sox, go, go, White Sox. You know, it it, it really caught fire and and it was, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. And that 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 makes that that services at the ballpark still from time to time, but Jeff found it somewhere. I don't know where he did, but it was uh it was a great play for for a guy who was running our scoreboard. World Series champions, nothing beats it. Attendance rises to just under three million. But as you said before, you don't sit on your hands. You can't afford to do that. No, it's, we we were so fortunate to 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 get the World Series. But you always got to know that you know the the, the players are going to come and go. You know, even the even the great ones are are, are going to come and go, and. You, you try to make that connection with fans that will stem generations. And, 
when 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 it's it's a lot easier when you're when you're winning and people come to the ballpark and man do they have a great time and and they say wow and 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 they when when they are walking back to their cars or walking to the train wow what a great time we felt that at that point in time our jobs were to provide the best possible experience to our fans every time they came in the ballpark whether it was a saturday in a rivalry game against the twins or it was a boring Tuesday night against the last place team. We wanted to treat all 81 events as though they were the marquee event and 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 to you know try to really connect this club uh with the fans. And you know, we're we're seeing it now. Now we're un- unfortunately we're we're creeping up on 20 years since we won the World Series. Uh, but you know, we're we're seeing fans now who became fans because of that team. If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. We resume with Brooks Boyer on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. The White Sox did suffer at the gate for a number of years until recently. I don't think that's something you can control because if a team is really good, as we've noticed in the last couple of years, albeit last year the team wasn't that good, people will come to the ballpark. So how do you think out of the box, Brooks, to try and remedy some of that issue the best you can? You know, you're you're general if you go, you know, marketing uh one oh one, you know, when 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 you look at the you know, the four P's of, of marketing, you know, whether it's, it's, it's the product, the promotion, the price and the place, but you can't sit back and say, I'm going, here's my five-year plan because baseball is not linear. You you do not know, you know, where, what your team's going to look like. You're not going to know how your team resonates with a fan base. Uh, there, there's so many unknowns uh, that that you have to leave yourself open to to to, to marketing uh, the product that 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 you do have. I mean, you know the grinder rules. If you remember from when we won the World Series, that stemmed from Ozzie Gian. The conversation with that yeah. Ozzie that created the, the 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 grinder rules. And our team, I'll be darned, went out and played like uh, like it. They 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 played following these rules. So. That was authentic. That connected with our fan base. It further connected our fans to to the club. Well, I'm going to assume, as you mentioned before, guys sat down and Ozzy Guillen took over, and Mm -hmm. you had to kind of plan ahead to what he might say. I wonder if there was motor oil in the Diet Mountain Dew when the White Sox and Jerry Reinsdorf brought Tony La Russa back because the negative publicity was there from the start, and it was there just about all the way through. This hiring today is a another indication that we've moved on to that final, that most exciting stage, and that is the one about competing for championships. Certainly subject to debate, and and it, it was subject to significant uh, debate. So going into last year, you know, the White Sox are the talk of a team that could potentially compete for a world series. And obviously we were excited about that. Our fans were excited about that. We were all bought in the year didn't play out. Um, the, the, the way 
the way anybody had hoped, the way anybody had expected. It it was you know, a, a, an organizational failure, and you know under Tony, uh, you know we 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 won a division, uh, you know, and then and then we had a a very disappointing season. Tell me now the blackout game, which was a great idea, and it turned out to be one of the great games in the history of the franchise, just the way it ended. How about a promotion that you came up with that just didn't work? Uh, you know, look, we, we like to try it. We like to try a lot of things. We've, we've done a lot of ticketing promotions that, that, that maybe have missed the mark. Uh, you know, we, what is it once ever, how many years the cicadas come out and we decided to do a cicada night. We thought that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> it is you know, sounds pretty funny. Yeah, and, the, and how did that one work? That that we just had people dressed up as cicadas. Oh, taking <laughs> people. That that was pretty stupid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we you know, we we we've we've done a number of things. Um, that you know we we we've done uh, mullet nights, which mullet night really caught on, and 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 we did you know the mullet march where people could wear their mullets and walk around the field. You know, it's a very very special night here at the ballpark. It is mullet night, and I am always looking to embrace whatever is going on at the ballparks that we visit. So here I am. Yeah, that's a good look. I'm all good. of my mullet glory. <laughs> that is fabulous. Business in the front, party in the back. $10 I contributed to the White Sox Children's Charities and the Ronald McDonald Children's Charities. So always looking to uh, support a good cause. Weren't you the first to do uh, the dog night in baseball? Yeah, we did. We did the dog night, and you know, I, I will give the, this is something that that is very not known in Chicago. Um, the first, you know, we, we we have a great tradition, and and it's at you know all of all the games now in Chicago, where you know someone is is honored as 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 being a, a veteran. You know, or, you know, our first responder, and, and and every team does this now. And now, surprising her son, please give a hero's welcome home from her deployment in the Middle East to Chicago native Major Karen Hernandez of the United States Army. Uh, we had a head of of game operations. Her name was Nicole Manning, and Nicole Manning was a was an Army brat growing up. So the military was 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 something that she did. She was the one that actually brought that to Chicago. The White Sox were the first team to do it. And it was a hit from the first time that, that she put that together and, and, and gave the story. And, and it's, it's great to see, I think all the Chicago teams do it now. And, you know, many teams around the country do it. And it's, it, it was just a great way to honor, um, you know, those who serve and, it, it meant so much to Nicole because of her father and 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 all the things that that he did for her growing up. So it's that that's something I'm very proud of that started as 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 a promotion out of the White Sox. A lot of people may not know this, but you have influence in the broadcasters that are hired over the years. So tell me a little bit about getting Steve Stone, <laughs> Len Casper, and Jason Benetti. Stoney, I. I, I adored his work and, you know, I, I thought, you know, he was, you know, when, when he was with the Cubs, I, I, I thought he was the, 
best analyst in 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 baseball. He was just he was he was terrific. And you know the 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 White Sox had a good one and Darren Jackson. Darren Jackson, a very skilled broadcaster, but you know Stone really was to me, you know, next level. That's home run number 25. He's now driven in 49. And more important than that, he's given the Sox their first lead of the night. Why Bassett deviated from that heavy sinker, I don't know, but it cost him three runs. 25 times he's worn the hat, he's worn the coat, and he's going to go to Seattle because of that. Chris Singleton was our was our radio was our radio analyst who 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 got this opportunity from ESPN. And you know, we told him he should he should pursue it. And obviously, he's gone on to great things at, at ESPN. And we had this opportunity in the radio booth. And at that time, WSCR was our was our partner. And we talked about how could we figure out how to get Steve Stone in the radio booth. And Steve Stone came over and did games for us on radio. And you know, we 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 talked about you know doing the the flip flop of putting Stoney in his natural position of, of TV and Darren taking on the, the, the radio duties. And he, he came it, it to me. It's he's, he's, he's been great. With Jason Benetti. I want to go to him next because mm-hmm. certainly, and, and Stoney just talks in such wonderful terms about him. And anybody who listens to the broadcast realizes that he pumped new life into Stoney the way Chip Carey did when his grandfather, Harry, passed away. So tell me a little bit about how Jason was chosen and how he weaved in. Jason was, he was a, a, a rising guy at ESPN. You know, when, when we went through the interview process and we we talked to some really great candidates, you know, we're, we're, we're talking, we, we talked to Joe Davis and Adam Amin Dave Raymond, we, we, we talked to some really, really high level um, broadcasters in that, and then and Jason's obviously in that, in that group, we did a really thorough search and, and, you know, th- these guys are all amazing and, and, and were really good. And, and so many of them were, were kind of on the, the verge, you know, of, of being, being stars. And what really stood out, you know, with, with, with Jason was, his connection to the White Sox. He grew up a White Sox fan. Uh, he's from here. And he really just loved the thought of being able to call games in his in his hometown. In the air left field, Luis Robert Jr. has once again electrified this ballpark. That really stuck with us. And, um, his 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 work ethic was was amazing, and this was a, a, a little bit of a risk, you know, at at at, at that time, of, of of putting someone that that young alongside someone so accomplished like Steve Stone. But we knew he could do it, and you know, he he has a way of of, of connecting with fans. He has a way of bringing out the very best in his analyst, which is a skill. Uh, he also you know, there's, there's, there's little things like, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll host, um, you know, charity events, you know, where, where, where he'll MC it and he does it so effortlessly. Um, it's, it's, he's just, he's a really skilled, he's a really skilled guy. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's great to have 
someone with those roots like he has, um, you know, be the be the voice of the Chicago White Sox. Finally, if I'm sure there is a back door at the ballpark, because that's the way Len Casper came in, in one of those <laughs> dramatic, who would have ever thought. So tell me a little story about that. And interestingly enough, I, I, I will tell you, I called Len Casper when the, when we were interviewing around the, the, the Benetti job. And I said, Hey, Len, you know, we're cause, cause Len and I had become friendly. And I said, Len, you know, I need, I need the next Len Casper. You know, that, that role ultimately led us to, to, to Jason. So when the radio gig opened up, Len calls and says, I thought he was calling to recommend somebody. And I said, Hey, you know, you're, you're on my hit list anyway. You know, who, who you got for this, this, this radio gig. And Len said to me, he said, Hey, um, what about me? Starters, his averages go up. That ball is cranked and it will go for burger, a burger bomb. It's eight to three. And he said, you know, I, I think I want the opportunity to call a World Series, and you know the 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 lead radio play-by-play is 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 someone everybody remembers and 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 recalls, and 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 I said, well, look, you know, I can't have you know this this conversation with you, you know, without you getting cleared by by the Cubs, and Crane Crane is Crane Kenny from the Cubs, and you know, Crane was was you know very generous and 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 thoughtful and understanding and, you know, said we could have those, those conversations. And, and, you know, the, the Cubs, you know, really like Len, everybody loves Len or everybody, the Cubs loves Len. And, you know, they, they wanted to, you know, they, they certainly wanted him to stay, you know, on the TV broadcast, but there was something that was drawing him to the radio. And, you know, the, as, as you know, you know, one of the very best of all time, is the radio play-by-play guy for the Cubs and, and Pat Hughes and and Pat is a you know Hall of Famer. He is you know I enjoy listening to Pat Hughes. He's he's terrific. But that job wasn't going to be available to the Cubs and you know, we we had a number of conversations. The Cubs were okay with it and and Len ended up coming over and and you know I I think before it's all said and done you know we will see Len Casper being honored. Yeah, the the way Pat Hughes recently was, and oh. and being the Ford Frick winner, I think he's he's that talented and that committed uh, to his role. He's 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 one of the very best in the business, and uh, you know we 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 certainly are lucky to have him, and very appreciative of the of of the Cubs being open to 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 allowing him to pursue his dream. You're not just a busy man on the South Side. You raised six kids. You're still raising six kids. How are they doing? Are any of them following in dad's footsteps? <laughs> I have, I've had zero varsity basketball players. Uh, <laughs> so basketball wasn't the thing. My, my oldest, uh, my oldest is a volleyball player at Wisconsin. Uh, so, you know, one of my great, you know, I've, I've, I've been very fortunate to, be part of the last dance bowls. You know, I've, I've been to, to, to super bowls you know, I've been to one of the great games of all time, which was, was, was the game in Dyersville, Iowa, where, where the white Sox walked off the, um, the, the Yankees. Um, so I've been to the Kentucky Derby. I've, I've, I've been very fortunate to do a lot of great things, but I, I'm not sure 
anything will top, um, you know, watching your daughter um, and, and and be part of a national championship run at, at, at Wisconsin. That was amazing. And it was, it was, it was coupled with, you know, my, my third daughter winning a state championship in volleyball in the same year. So it was a, a, a heck of a year. So the oldest is, is, is taking her COVID year next year and, and she'll have one more year playing volleyball at Wisconsin. I have a, a junior at Notre Dame who is on their club volleyball team and then a freshman at Western Michigan also playing volleyball. So uh, no basketball players. I, I, I did get to coach them until eighth grade. Yeah. Then they, they turned all volleyball on me. So I did get my basketball with them while they were young. Um, I have two boys both in high school you know, one's a hockey player and, and one's a baseball player. And then uh, I have my 13-year-old daughter who is a dancer. So anybody who out there is listening, <laughs> if you see me at a competitive dance, <laughs> my, my, my daughter's wrapped up in there. So uh, plenty of athletics to go around and 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 a lot of fun, uh, you know, watching them, you know, pursue their dreams. I ask this final question to all my guests. If not your current profession, Brooks, what would you have been? I love doing deals uh, and, 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 and doing deals is, is, you know, where, where, where you can, you can get something and, and the, the other side gets something that, that makes you both better. I, I love the negotiation. I love the, 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 the challenge of, of, of putting those things together. So I'd probably have to say if I was doing anything else, I'd, I'd love doing like, private equity deals where you, you figure out how to you know, make businesses better, figure out how to do deals that, that put the right people in the, in the right places. I mean, that'd be fun. My, I mean, my dream was always to play in the NBA, you know, and here I am, I got, I got three world champion rings and, and you know, <laughs> never scored a point. Um, so, you know, if, if, if I can't do that, I, I want to do something where it's, it's competitive where, you know, I, I, I'm totally cool with, with, with professions that have winners and losers. And, and, you know, I, I, I just, I, I enjoy still to this day, I enjoy competing and I, and I enjoy, you know, trying to, to take things and, and make them better. Well, this was a long time in coming. I think you know that I'm persistent, if nothing else, <laughs> and I can prove that with the many, many texts that I've sent you. I think maybe one day you should hire me. Thank you, Brooks Boyer, for telling me a story I don't know. George, pleasure. My thanks to the Chicago White Sox, the Texas Rangers Television Network, NBC Sports, and the Fox Sports Network for those wonderful highlights. And my thanks, as always, to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. T.J. Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, and Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them on the web at mrduct.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote.